land is mine. God gave this land to me. This brave and ancient land to me. Children can run free. So take my hand and walk this land with me. And walk. like me and you like uh, the lyrics of that uh, song sung by uh, Andy Williams, written by Pat Boone, uh, mm-hmm. then uh, uh, it's about the, the last time that you're going to hear it, at least uh, among the, uh, the last, because I'm told by our social media outreach team that uh, they're tired of hearing it and they want something uh, new. So I'm, uh, I'm here to tell you that uh, it's... Uh, um, its time could well be over. Uh, also, the uh, our social media queen and her court, uh, that would be Dee uh, and Leah and Jackie, uh, would like me to inform you that uh, I think it's three weeks from uh, today's program um, that we're going to have a question and answer with Yada time, where um, any question that uh, you submit via social media uh, will be uh, asked on the show. I won't get any um, advance notice of what the questions are, so it's going to be uh, totally extemporaneous. Uh, but um, okay. if you uh, post your questions on the social media sites with uh, with uh, D at, uh, I'm sure I'm imagining that you're monitoring both the Twitter site and the Facebook uh, site. Sure. That, uh, mm-hmm. uh, those questions uh, in a few weeks' time will be posed, and we'll try to do a, a Q and A period like we did long ago in uh, Shattering Myths when uh, Scott Berdink was our uh, mm-hmm. uh, program director and he was on the switchboard and we were able to uh, take live phone calls. We're actually able to do it in this format. I'm looking at the switchboard now of everybody that has called and I have their telephone numbers, not the names associated with them. And we could actually uh, ask uh, individuals in, in, uh, here on the switchboard for their questions. but. We're going to do it the, um, um, by way of you submitting them to social media, and then uh, I'll do my best to uh, answer them as part of the, uh, the program. Cool. Um, I, I might be a bit mo- melancholy today. Uh, Kirk is, uh, is playing under the weather, uh, too. D might be uh, fine uh, today. Uh, Kirk is battling his uh, 87,000th uh, uh, attempt to pass a, uh, a kidney stone. 
Uh, so uh, we're hoping that he is on the uh, the mend. He is certainly an expert at it now, so uh, we know that uh, he will he'll do fine. <laughs> practice he's had, lots of, yeah. he's had lots of practice. Uh, and I um, found out today that uh, I'm on the menu. Uh, you know, it's, it's one thing to be included in the menu, but to be the menu, uh, well, I'm sharing uh, the uh, the plate with uh, my uh, my good friend Dode. Uh, it's another story. Uh, but it turns out that uh, uh, in the uh, um, proper analysis and translation of the Magog, um, Gog and Magog War, Meshach and Tubal, uh, that uh, Gog is actually Satan. Um, Meshach and Tubal um, were to be um, translated, not transliterated as names of places. Uh, Magog means to question Gog. Uh, and there is no war. Uh, so for those who are expecting a Magog war and trying to pinpoint where Gog and Magog and Meshach and Tubal may be, uh, you can give up on that because they're literary devices. Uh, and these literary devices are all designed to reveal Satan at his perceived greatness uh, as he um, came into the garden to uh, deceive Chawa and then for him to shed the uh, adversary title that he was given and uh, rise above the diminishment that was the consequence of his indiscretion at the garden. Uh, so um, Gog-like the cherub of uh, of Eden, like the cedar of the garden, like um, the pharaoh of Egypt, like the king of Tyre, are all metaphors uh, describing Satan in his glory uh, and Satan after the fall, and then used by the Lord of Babel uh, to pummel the adversary title that he must extinguish if he is to be worshipped as God. And so that really is the story of the Gog and Magog War. But uh, the, the thing that is so astonishing about it is that uh, Satan's great reveal, which is why the story of, of Gog and Magog told, it is Satan's coming out party, his day of days. Uh, likely May 1st, 2030, I think, is the time. We don't yet know who will play the role of, uh, of Hasatan when he enters Jerusalem. Uh, who he has selected for the role, I was thinking that Donald, but he's too old. Certainly can't be the Pope because he's already wheelchair-bound. But uh, he'll yeah. pick someone uh, to, uh, to play the starring role. And then he's going to have the Feast of the Beast. And the Feast of the Beast is a celebration of cannibalism and of vampirism, where you uh, eat the flesh and drink the blood of, uh, of two particular individuals, and the star of the plate is Dode. But I got to find out that uh, as his uh, understudy, I will also be served up on Satan's plate. So it's, oh, wow. It's, it's nice to know that, wow. <laughs> that I got a, an attaboy and we'll be there. We'll be there at the Feast of the Beast should he prevail as part of the meal on uh, Hasatan's plate. So those who don't like me very much, you may want to attend, should he prevail. <laughs> <laughs> Although I really don't think I would taste very good. Nor do I think that Yahweh is going to, to allow this to occur. But it is a no. uh, it is this uh, seventh chapter of uh, volume three of, 
uh, the books on Babel, uh, volume one being on uh, Daniel, volumes two and three on the book of Ezekiel. Uh, chapter seven, which is called the Great Reveal, um, Feast of the Beast. Uh, it may be the um, climax, really, and the, uh, uh, the culmination of all I've done over the past 22 years. It is a, uh, it's a startling presentation, uh, gripping, uh, it exceedingly uh, enlightening, uh, unbelievably controversial. But uh, I look forward to it being edited. Uh, uh, Jackie has edited the first half of it. Uh, she'll edit the second half. Mike will do his fact check on the, uh, the chapter. Uh, and then the edit team will review it, and it will get posted by David on the Yada Yada site. Um, and I will tell you, it is a real page starter. It is um, uh, maybe the most extraordinary experience thus far in, uh, in writing, and we're 30 books into this at this point. Wow. So I'll leave you with that and tell you that, uh, that um, should there have been any concern that we might be off on a, uh, on a limb, uh, calling Ezekiel Satan's autobiography. Um, there should be no doubt. All doubt removed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> After uh, reading the seventh chapter, uh, the sixth, this happens to be on the Valley of Dry Bones. Um, that's uh, an exceedingly revealing uh, experience as well um, in what it uh, actually discloses. Uh, and that's followed, of course, by the two chapters in Ezekiel 38 and 39 that uh, were interpreted to describe a Magog war during the last days. And, um, well, frankly, nothing could be further from the truth. But coming to understand why the name Gog was chosen is uh, quite enlightening. Well, where we ended the program uh, last week was on Hosea, Hosea 5.5. And God was speaking very critically of his people, particularly Yisrael uh, and Ephraim, uh, Ephraim being a, uh, a subset of Yisrael. Um, mm -hmm. He's not pleased with his people, and he's also contrasting them to Yahuda, which he is uh, also displeased with, but uh, in a slightly different way. This is uh, Hosha 5.5. Moreover, the pride and arrogance of Yisrael testifies against his presence. Therefore, Yisrael, those who contend and struggle with God, and Ephraim, worthless specks of carbon, will falter, stumble and fall, and they will be overthrown. This is kashal. They're going to stagger and will not succeed as a result of being feeble and weak. It was written in the Niffle, imperfect, says that the northern kingdom constantly stumbled, and their fall was not only their fault, the consequences will be enduring. In their perverse corruptions and their libelous errors, ba-erom, him, in their depravity, wrongdoing, transgressions, and resulting gift, guilt. Yahuda, which means beloved of Yah, will also waver along with them. This is also kashal, uh, this time followed by gam, which means also, uh, m, which means with, and hem, them. 
they're going to falter in addition to them, staggering and failing to succeed as a result of being weak and even overthrown following them, at least for the moment. It's called perfect this time. Now, one of the many reasons that amplification is an aid to understanding is because otherwise we would miss the implications of the Hebrew stems, the conjugations, and the moods. And in this particular case, the same verb, kashal, which means to stumble and fall, was directed at Yisrael and Yehuda, although with very different implications and consequences, none of which you would pick up if you were not aware of these grammatical enhancements to the Hebrew language. With the niffle stem, Ephraim is responsible for having fallen and will endure the consequence of their own making. You see, the niffle says that the subject both causes the action of the verb and also suffers the effect of it. Very interesting stem. Mm -hmm. They made the mess, and they will get to lie in it with no one to blame but themselves. I wish we had stems in English, although I'd probably be tongue-tied figuring out, trying to figure out which one to apply. <laughs> I, I will tell you that with these stems, if you are not communicating in writing, the ability to convey them orally would be nigh on impossible mm-hmm. because of the complexity of what you're trying to communicate. Now, in the imperfect, when directed at Yisrael and Ephraim, there will be no getting up at least for a very long time. They constantly faltered, so their fall will be continuous. The imperfect speaks of ongoing behavior. Now, when scribed in the perfect and applied to Yahuda, Judah, we discovered that the southern kingdom will actually be overthrown during a finite period of time and that they will not stay down, suggesting that they will rise again. Bex are true. Mm -hmm. The ten tribes of Israel remain essentially lost after the Assyrian conquest over 2,700 years ago. And while Yehuda was overthrown by Rome between 66 and 135 CE, the descendants of those who were hauled off into slavery have returned. And it is Yehuda who we refer to as Jews today. Well, that's a lot of insights from stems that most people don't even know exist. I think if you were to ask the um, a thousand people who claim that the I'll use the term Bible is the Word of God, if they understand that the Hebrew texts of the Torah, Prophets, and Psalms included stems that explain the relationship between the subject and object of the sentence pursuant to the action of the verb, that outside of this community, (laughs) there would be maybe one in a million that would even know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. That's true. If you were to tell them that Hebrew, the Hebrew language is like light and that all time exists. Nothing is locked into the past, present, and future. It simply is as is the case with the nature of light. I was watching a Discovery Channel show on light the other day, and they made the point that on a photon of light, time exists. The past, the present, the future 
are all one. And that's exactly how Hebrew is written. So in Hebrew, rather than tenses, there are two conjugations, ongoing action and completed action. The completed action means that, like applied to Yehuda, that this is something that will occur or has occurred, but it will not endure forever. With the imperfect conjugation, we learn that the action is ongoing and continual through time. And then, of course, well, it wasn't applied in this case. There are also moods, and the Hebrew moods uh, explain volition, whether volition is being expressed in the first, second, or third person. So it's a marvelous language, and I don't think there's even one in a million people who appreciates what can be deduced, can be deduced by examining it more closely. When we read this sort of thing, we learn that pride begets self-reliance. It is a condition that leads away from trusting Yahweh because with self-reliance, we're relying upon the ingenuity of me, myself, and I. And no matter how productive and powerful a person or nation might be, no matter how impervious its defenses appear, or how stellar its collective intellect, societies that separate themselves from God quickly find their productivity, power, and pride were all a massage, a mirage. They don't last very long. Mm-hmm. You know, right. you look at uh, here, um, because we have the normalcy syndrome, living in, whether it's been a European country or in America, uh, think that, well, because we're special, that we're going to continue to enjoy a superior life. Mm -hmm. Oh, boy. I got news for you. It's all going to come to a crashing halt, and it's going to come down quickly and without uh, warning, at least without warning for those that aren't aware of what Yahweh has told us. So uh, if you're caught up in the normalcy syndrome and think because tomorrow uh, was one way, uh, yesterday was one way, tomorrow will be the same, then I would encourage you just to think about how life was different before COVID and how much it's changed and how life was different uh, before the, uh, the war in the Ukraine and how much it's changed, how quickly things change. So moving on with uh, Hosha, uh, who has a lot to say about how things have changed for God's people. It reads, Within their flocks and among their herds, they will travel about to search, to inquire about, to seek to hold responsible, and to look to conspire against Yahweh. But they will not achieve what they seek. He has withdrawn from them. They have been untrustworthy and unreliable, have betrayed him, and been treacherous in their dealings. With Iowa. Boy, that is not what you want written of you. No. Going about life, not at all. Trying to find ways to conspire against Yahweh. I mean, God is saying, I don't care what you have to say, what you have to write against me. How you've aggrandized yourselves in your Talmud and your New Testament. Um, I'm not going away. 
and I'll have nothing to do with it. In mm-hmm. fact, uh, while you're doing this and celebrating your Talmud in your New Testament, I'm simply going to withdraw from you. You've not been trustworthy. You've not been reliable. You have betrayed me in treacherous manners. So Yahweh says, I am essentially done with you. Not forever, but for a very long time. For now, they have fathered and brought forth those who are illegitimate and estranged children. So now, the crescent moon will devour them along with their land. That's Hoshep. He saves five, seven. Um, strong words. It is, uh, it is definitely not something that you ever want to be said of you, that you are bakash, that you are accountable for rebelling against the authority of Yahweh. You never want it to be said of you that in your life's endeavors that you will not achieve what you seek. But that's what lo mata conveys. You never want to read in conjunction with yourself or your people that Yahweh has withdrawn from you. But that's what he did 2,700 years ago with Israel and 2,500 years ago with Yehuda. And these fences are finally being torn down. When God says, you have been by God, you betrayed me. You've been treacherous. It's interesting, too, that by God means two things. It it speaks of, of being untrustworthy and unreliable, but it also speaks of being attired in religious apparel. Mm-hmm. Look at the dominant strain of Judaism today in Israel. The Haredi. And their morning suits and their black hats and their curly cues on the side of their faces. They are um, dressed religiously, which Yahweh says... Um, speaks volumes to the fact that they have betrayed me and that they're being treacherous in their dealings and that they are untrustworthy. God hates religious dress-up. For now they have fathered and brought forth offspring who are illegitimate. Their children are estranged. And that's what's happened for the past 2,700 years with Yisrael, 2,500 years with Yahuda, God has not spoken through a Yisraelite for 2,700 years, has not spoken through a Yahud Jew in 2,500 years. So now the crescent moon will devour them. Boy, I wonder if I could think of something that's represented by the crescent moon that is terrorizing Jews. Somebody wrote a book on it. (laughs) I think think it has a crescent moon on the cover of it. Prophet of Doom. (laughs) Yeah, Islam's terrorist dogma and Muhammad's own words. 
Can I can I throw one little thing in before we sure pass? please on Bagad Bagad I, I find it fascinating that Bagad and what you're saying about it was written the way it was written with a the little picture of a, a bat and then a gimel walking away from towards his house walking away from the doorway to pass over the the delete yeah delete. that's true I mean yeah you the can't, you can't make this stuff up with one way in. And the mm-hmm. uh, the uh, the G is a foot walking away from the doorway of That's that right. home. Yes. Yep. Right. And uh, the uh, the left is in fact the doorway representing Passover. So mm-hmm. um, this is is people walking away from the covenant home and the doorway to life. You know these, yeah. These words are, are interesting. You know, one of the things too that that uh, you found when you were analyzing the words that I I didn't know until you brought it up was that of the what is it ten twelve words out of the or ten twelve letters out of the twenty two of the Hebrew language are um, mm-hmm. uh, are one sided. They lean yes. from right to left in the direction that Hebrew reads, um, and one letter actually reads uh, uh, left to right against the flow of Hebrew. Uh, that's the G. Mm-hmm. And you it's a foot going in the wrong direction. And what you learned is that when the letters that are directional face away from the letters in Yahweh's name, the Yod, the Wa, and the He, that the word is decidedly negative in terms of its implications. And when the Major letters that are directional point towards the letters in Yahweh's name, that the word is exceedingly positive as it relates to its influence uh, upon us. But it appears yes, that in, in Baged, uh, that since there are, none of those three letters are in Yahweh's name, the Gemel, the Beath, the uh, Deleth, that just the idea that the, the Gemel is walking away from the home, the covenant, that uh, uh, this is trouble. Now, it's actually walking towards the door because it it precedes the delept. But the problem here is just like Christianity. If you walk away from the original uh, covenant towards Mm -hmm. Passover and you have ignored and have not benefited from matzah, where your soul is, is deleavened, it's the worst possible outcome because you would have eternal life but be unperfected in terms of your soul, which means that you would have to be eternally estranged from God, which means an everlasting fate and sheol. Yeah. So this actually yeah. suggests that sort of thing. So a lot can be learned from the, uh, the letters that were originally used to, uh, to write these words. So the Israelites have flocked together more than any other race or cultural group, even when exiled from their homeland. Therefore, it is more instructive to view Bahtion, the flock, with the flock, and Bahmakar from this perspective, presenting the herd mentality of Israel than it is to continuously view them 
as sheep herders. Having migrated throughout Europe together and to the New World, then encountering anti-Semitism wherever they have gone, rabbis have sought to hold God accountable, perception and their subsequent torment. But in all of this time, and in all of their ways, they're no closer to the truth and are further from Yah than ever before. And while they have rebelled against his authority, the consequence is to be excluded from the ensuing harvest. And that surely was not the intent. So they have withdrawn from Yahweh, and so God has removed his presence and his witness from Israel. You know, I'm about to begin. Uh, there are three chapters of Ezekiel, 40, 41, and 42, that are pedantic relative to the grand scale of the revisionist temple that the Lord of Babel uh, wants to have built. And you know, it's obvious that uh, on first blush that it is bigger and grander because, well, Satan needs to be better than Yah. A, a more simple home was good enough for the father of the covenant and the creator of life. He doesn't need to gloat, uh, but uh, it has to be a grand edifice for, uh, for Satan. And so I was reading the rabbinical reviews uh, because before you get into something like this, you know they have had some commentary because one of the interesting things about this whole thing is that, is that uh, the plans that Yahweh provided in the Torah for the dimensions of his uh, home and its construction are contradicted in every possible way in these three chapters of Ezekiel. So I wanted to see what the rabbi's take was huh. on this. So I brought up a number of uh-huh. rabbinical sites, and they say, well, just as the first temple was different than the second temple, we should expect the third temple to be uh, different as well. And they said, as for the differences between them, well, when Elijah comes, he will explain them to us. <laughs> so I, I spent, a, after completing the chapter, uh, preceding chapter, I spent a couple of hours today preparing my mind for what's going to come as I um, write about these uh, changes without boring the poor reader to death, because there's just no way I'm going to translate every word of three chapters that are a bunch of uh, numbers regarding the uh, the temple. I, I really just want to present what's going on here. And so I, I did turn to them to see what their take was. And uh, uh, their uh, presentation, of course, is that um, it, it doesn't matter, that... Um, Elia will explain it, and that uh, um, uh, just as there was a difference between one and two, there will be a difference in three. So what I wanted to find out is there's two books that were written um, contemporaneous with the building of the second temple, Ezra's one and Nehemiah's the other. And I wanted to see, did Yahweh provide any instructions that would contradict the original instructions that he had provided to, uh, to through Moshe and then on through Dode in the construction of his first home? And the answer is no. So any difference between the first and the second 
is strictly humans ad libbing. The right. second thing that I wanted to find, and therefore, if that's the case, then any difference between the dimensions of the one and only temple that God designed and Ezekiel's are wrong in Ezekiel. Um, the second thing I wanted to find is, is there any justification for calling Ezra inspired by God? No. I'm not here to tell you that Ezra is like Ezekiel or Enoch and was inspired by Satan. That's not, clearly not the case. He was a scribe. It, uh, yeah, it reads uh, as a historical scribe that is saying, you know, here's the events that took place, and, you know, this is what happened to us. This is what Cyrus said. And then uh, there were a group that uh, were conspiring, and, and, uh, and so uh, uh, Darius uh, halted the construction, and there were a bunch of letters that went back and forth between the, uh, the two parties because uh, yeah. uh, construction was halted after the foundation was laid, and, and that, uh, um, that uh, the, our overseer was actually a Babylonian with a Babylonian name, and uh, he, uh, he went and, and did what he was supposed to do until, well, the, uh, we were told to stop, and we stopped for a bunch of years, and, and then we uh, started again, and here we go. Uh, it, it's, it's a nice history. Yeah. But there's not a single prophecy in it. And therefore, without prophecy, one cannot claim that it was inspired by God. Now, it's interesting that the Dabadim test is only of those who claim to be a prophet. So if Ezra came out and says, I'm a prophet, and here's my book, and there's no prophecies, if he presents himself as a scribe, and there are no prophecies, then he's not a false prophet. But there's also no proof that the book was inspired by Yahweh. Therefore, if he states something, it is subject to human error and to interpretation. Nehemiah is the same thing. Uh, Haggai, who uh, um, exists only to tell us that here's the cast of characters uh, that were assigned the tax of building the second uh, temple, there are no prophecies in it either. Right. So, now the sad thing for him is that uh, it is claimed of him that he was a prophet, and therefore without prophecies he would be a false prophet. So it's going to be interesting. I'm going to read through each of these books again, validate that they are um, simply scribal and historical, in which case there are no instructions to do anything different, and also to see if there is any mention of something different, which thus far I have not seen, uh, indicating that what uh, Ezekiel is claiming is totally spurious uh, and is simply Hasatan, the adversary, uh, trying to one-up Yahweh and be seen above him because his temple is bigger and grander. Um, So... Interesting, as you relate to these individuals, what you can determine based upon their, uh, their status with, uh, with Yahweh. And if this analysis proves true, you know, and we've proven that Daniel wasn't a prophet, we've proven that Ezekiel wasn't a prophet, uh, and uh, it uh, certainly appears that Ezra was a scribe, not a prophet, and Nehemiah was not a prophet, and Haggai was not a, uh, a prophet, uh, Esther, clearly not uh, prophetic. 
uh, not inspired. Uh, uh, Ecclesiastes, not prophetic, not inspired. Solomon, Solomon, not prophetic, not inspired. Maccabees, same thing. Uh, obviously, Enoch, neither a prophet nor inspired. Right. We are really getting down to the, the point where there weren't a whole lot of prophets. Yeah. So, you know, you're left nope. with uh, Moshe. Uh, you, you do have Yahweh through unknown individuals, uh, so they're not prophets. But um, conveying prophecies and malachim, kings and, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, uh, words for the day, day uh, chronicles. So we do see some prophetic statements in them, but they're mostly historical accounts. Um, and Samuel, clearly a prophet. Dode, overwhelmingly yes. a prophet. And yes. uh, Zechariah, Malachi, yeah. uh, obviously my favorite, uh, Yashaya. Uh, but we don't have a lot of them. Um, the book of, uh, of Job, Job presents Satan exactly as, uh, as one would deduce his profile and personality based on the story of, uh, uh, as it's presented in Ezekiel. You know, he was envious, went to God to say, yeah, you know, plays a starring role here. You know, they only like you because uh, you do nice things for them. If you didn't do nice things for them, they wouldn't like you anymore. And uh, that's basically uh, Satan taunting God and discrediting humankind, which is what we read throughout Ezekiel. So there aren't a lot of prophets. Uh, Now, that's an interesting thought here, too, because Hosha, clearly a prophet. Um, Does this mean, A, that God had a very difficult time finding people who were willing to listen to him? And speak for him. B, did he find exactly the number of people and the right people to listen to him and speak through? And the likes of, you know, Moshe and uh, Yosha ben Nun and Shamuel and Dod and uh, Yashaya, Yermaya, Hosha, uh, et al. And that was all he thought was necessary to convey. He conveyed it, and uh, there we have it. More than any uh, dozen of us could possibly translate and comprehend and analyze uh, and plumb for its depths over, uh, over a lifetime. Uh, so I guess that would be the, uh, the second option. That's the answer. That's a good um, answer. Yeah, don't know which one of those two. Maybe it's both. Maybe I was going to say yeah. I'd go with both. Yeah, yeah. But there's not a lot of them. I mean, it's really going to get down to, okay, there's a lot of prophecy in the Torah. There's a lot of prophecy in Shemuel. Uh, there's, uh, there's prophecy interspaced between the historical accounts and uh, Malachim Kings and, and its mirror account and uh, Chronicles, words for the day. And certainly the great prophet Yashaya and Yermaya and uh, Hosha, um, yeah. Zachariah, Malachi, um, and there were prophets who didn't have books named after them, Elia. Mm-hmm. But my goodness. And Nathan. Very, you know, uh, Deborah was uh, both a uh, prophet and a, uh, a judge. Nathan was a prophet, didn't have a book named after him either. Um and Amos, he actually says he's not a prophet, even though he's called one by the king. So 
that's one to look at too. Yes. Yeah. But we really have uh, an interesting uh, um, review ahead. I have uh, already told uh, uh, Jackie, who is you know, leads the editing team and and is the uh, lead publicist for uh, the Yada Yada series, that um, after we finish uh, Ezekiel, um, which uh, I hope to to finish over the next uh, three or four weeks, uh, that uh, I'm taking a break. And my break isn't I'm going on a sabbatical. My break is that I decided I'm going back to the Mizbor. I'm going to start uh, uh, picking up where I, volume two of Coming Home left off, which I think was right around the 23rd Mizmor song. And, and I'm just going to spend some time with Dode. We're going to translate some psalms. And if it doesn't speak about the last days, so what? Um, um, Good stuff to listen to. Yeah, you've uh, you've got more than enough, and uh, in this material we have done uh, here recently to uh, to understand what's coming. Yep. So well, I'm excited yeah. about that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, it's going to be a a nice uh, transition. Yeah. To know Yah is to strive to be like him, uh, to see the world as he views it to reflect his redeeming attributes. Yahweh is trustworthy, he is reliable, and therefore he seeks the same in us. So when people he has assisted betray him, he is none too pleased. And in the case of Yisrael, their response to God has been particularly treacherous. I mean, right at the beginning, look, (laughs) I mean, it starts actually with uh, Abraham, who is the... uh, uh, the human father of the covenant. I mean, what a scallywag. He was married to such a uh, a wonderful woman, you know, one of the greatest women who have ever lived. Beautiful, yeah. charming, intellectual. And she had it all. And yet, he pimped her out twice to enrich himself. So it doesn't begin well. No. And Jacob... He was also a scallywag. Indeed. (laughs) He was more wrong than right for most of his life. Yeah. And then then you you get to the whole episode of selling Joseph off to uh, uh, into slavery and abandoning him the way that uh, Jacob's uh, sons did. Uh, And then you see the way that they responded to Moshe when Moshe reached out, risked his life and standing to protect them, and the first thing they did was betray him. Yeah. And then you see the way they acted during the Yatza Exodus. I mean, they were hardly out of, of Egypt, Mitzrayim, before they were making idols to worship in lieu of God. They bellyached the whole way, complained the whole way, grumbled the whole way. And when he finally brought them to the promised land, they said, no, 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 we're not going in there. Too scary. <laughs> I mean, good God, what a bunch of crybabies. They were awful. And there is no time when you can say, well, Jews were wonderful. I mean, the best you got is... During the years under uh, Dote, 
Not the years under sure. Shaul, Saul. He, too, was a scumbag. Got his head handed to him, literally. Yeah. And, uh, and was demon-possessed. And, well, Dode is the best among us. In terms of some of the things he did, he was no prize. Um, There's hope for he me. He <laughs> responded improperly a bunch of times. Yeah. And Israel was not glorious under his reign. Yeah, there was a civil war, for example. Enemies were trying to tear him apart from all sides. Mm-hmm. Huge family disputes. And his son, oh my God. I mean, his son was way, way too into the ladies in his life and uh, never met a pagan that he didn't love. <laughs> and it took him right down the rabbit hole yeah. into uh, Sheol. And within a few years, uh, Israel was divided. The Assyrians came knocking on the door and hauled ten of the twelve tribes into oblivion, historical oblivion. And then uh, thereafter, Yahuda was pummeled, not once but twice, by the Babylonians. Yeah. And as soon as the Babylonians were done with them, it was the Greeks. And the Greeks had hardly become Romans before the Romans hammered them three times. And then after the Romans, it was the Roman Catholic Church. And after them, it was the Muslims. And after them, it was fascist Europe. Now it's the progressives. It's never been glorious. I mean, look now at Israel. They finally had an election where they could form a government, and they're on the cusp of civil war. It's never been good. And I think that's essential when we recognize that God all this time has remained loyal to his people, but the only way that he could endure them was to have a time out from them. You know, I remember um, the years uh, uh, towards the, the end of my, uh, my marriage with my ex and the only way that I could survive it was to have many homes. I could always be at a home that she was not. And that's kind of like Yahweh's right. approach here. It's just, it's works <laughs> if we're nowhere close to one another. And, you know, we'll figure this out in the, the end. Uh, yeah, it was a, uh, a lot better than, uh, than me, and, uh, and he wasn't married to someone with borderline personality disorder. So it was it was resolvable, but uh, it's tough. this is what God is saying that um, He's none too pleased. In the case of Israel, He essentially estranged Himself because of their treachery. His invitations um, they ignored. His land they corrupted, and it all reflected poorly on God because he had chosen these people to represent him. And when this kind of behavior exists by people who are seen flocking together by their choice of bizarre and mournful religious outfits, it implies that they're miserable, that their lives are somehow a result of of being betrayed by their God 
rejecting, being rejected by him or rejecting him. And it does not um, speak well of them. And it's embarrassing to God. Raising their sons and daughters to be religious, the Heredi have fathered illegitimate and alienated children who are estranged from Yahweh. This is why the Assyrians were allowed to have their way with them. This is why they were hauled off into captivity, 722 BCE. This is why they were taken to a a geographical area that was ultimately plagued by Islam, the religion that marauds under the sign of a crescent moon. They would lose their land to Muslims as well as their right to live. Their possessions have been devoured by Muhammad's barbarians. And this is why shalak is such a provocative term in this context. In conjugation with the call to be devoured, it reveals that Allah's little helpers consumed their land and took their territory, such that the Israelites were devoured as a result of their seductive words, those found in the Babylonian Talmud, and then based upon their recitals of the Talmud in the Quran. Killing them would secure a jihadist fate and serve to provide virginal rewards in paradise. Some or all of this was foretold via Chalek, and yet it is another example of why we prefer amplification where every reasonable connotation is considered. We learn so much more. There are thousands of words Iowa could have chosen instead of Kodesh to illustrate the source of Yisrael's and by extensions um, America's torment. I include America because throughout Hosha, mm-hmm. Yosha's audience has been Yisrael. And there is nearly as many of God's chosen people in America as there are in Israel. The Kodesh, or renewing moon, has been the symbol of Islam since the beginning. Muslims have attacked and they will continue to terrorize and kill Jews because it is Allah's highest calling to murder them. Muslims are incapable of creating anything, but they are perfectly suited to devour the wealth of other nations, wiping them out, burning, destroying, and causing great devastation. Now, Islam wasn't the first satanic religion to slaughter God's people under the sign of a crescent moon. The Hastings Encyclopedia of Religion says, Allah is a pre-Islamic name corresponding to the Babylonian god known as Bel. Bel, like Baal, means Lord and is a title of reverence to the moon god Sin. That's what we learn when we read mm-hmm. um, the history of, of uh, Babylon. Um, during the uh, the time that the Jews were first taken there, uh, part of the reason they came became susceptible 
to Cyrus is because uh, the king had an affinity for sin where the people still preferred Marduk, but sin was the moon god. So by using Kodesh, Yahweh revealed what would fall or befall, I should say, his estranged and scattered children. Even the name of Hosha's unfaithful wife, Gomer, fits, fits the model. Gomer, uh, we are uh, told in the book of Ezekiel, is uh, part of the Magog Federation. Now, this too is uh, problematic. Because um, when you look at the countries that um, the Lord of Babel will claim formed part of the Magog Federation, um, there's only one of them that is really knowable, and that is uh, Paras, uh, which is uh, thought to be Persia, uh, even though Persia didn't exist at the time of that writing. So it's an interesting choice of names. Uh, but... Uh, we're also told that, um, that there were contributors from um, Gomer, and uh, the House of Grief was another. So if we look at those places, Gomer was actually in the, is a small little community centered around where Tbilisi is today, and the uh, Caspian uh, Steppe. And <laughs> to include them in this federation is laughable, uh, because the, in the entire uh, Georgian military, which is uh, um, surrounds where uh, Gomer would have been, um, there are 37,000 troops. <laughs> if they all came to do battle, <laughs> they would be a laughable uh, assembly. And, uh, <laughs> and, and then you have the, uh, the House of Grief, which is probably indicative of Armenia, uh, and while they have closer to 97 or 90,000 uh, uh, soldiers, uh, that is a, a country that can ill afford to send anybody out to fight anyone. I mean, they have been mm. subjugated and pummeled by the Babylonians, by the Persians, uh, by uh, the uh, uh, Mongols, by the Muslims, um, and it just goes on and on. Um, they, uh, they were also subjected uh, to the control of the Soviets. Uh, they have been pummeled by the Turks. Um, so it's an interesting assemblage of, uh, of nations. And when you find out that they aren't actually places at all, it's just that uh, Hasatan isn't very creative. And to come up with the names to fill out his story, he uh, almost always went to the same well, which was the descendants of Noah. The only exception from the descendants of Noach is Gog. And we learn of Gog that he was a descendant of the disenfranchised and the disinherited of Israel. Um, Jacob's firstborn, Reuben, uh, was disenfranchised. Uh, he was disinherited because he, uh, of his indiscretion in his uh, father's uh, bed with, um, with uh, his woman his father's woman. Mm. And uh, it is very much like uh, what Satan did in the Garden of, uh, of Eden. And, mm. and so Gog is a descendant of Reuben. Reuben actually means malevolent child. 
And wow. so that's the only name that uh, doesn't come from Noach's descendants is Gog. And he uh, is the descendant of the malevolent son who was disenfranchised and disinherited because of his uh, indiscretion with his uh, father's woman. It is an interesting story of, uh, of names. So speaking of that time, we now turn to Hosha 5.8. It reads, Blow the shofar upon Ha-Gibah, the hill, the clarion and Ramah, the heights. Signal an alarm and shout for joy. Ruah at Beeth Ewon, the house of trouble. It is the end for you as the other O Benjamite. Ephraim, worthless specks of carbon, will be horrified and desolated, which will occur in the day of rebuke and punishment among the various tribes of Israel, those who contend and struggle with God. At that time, I will make Yada known to be sure. Hmm. Yes, exactly. That was my sentiments. Uh, yeah. Blow the shofar, um, and um, uh, it's hard to miss the blowing the shofar and signal the alarm and shouting for joy, ruah. Um, yeah. The connection with uh, ruah. ruah. And yes, we are, Yada Yahweh is the living embodiment of uh, Teruah. Um, 22 years ago on Teruah is when uh, Yahweh, whom I didn't even know at the time, asked me to do what we are doing. We've been the expression of Teruah ever since. Our entire existence is to share with the house of Yisrael, with Yahudah, what Yahweh has conveyed, that he is returning, that he's coming back with Dode, the Messiah and Son of God, David, and that uh, um, he is returning on Yom Kippurim, the day of reconciliations in 6,000 Yah, which is October 2nd in 2033. And that Yisrael has exactly as Hosha has said, it has been belligerent with Yah, trade Yah, acted treacherously against him, and therefore has been estranged, but that Yahweh wants to reconcile that relationship. And while the vast majority of Jews will not listen to him, neither the progressives nor the ultra-Orthodox religious, there are those of you in the middle that are not religious, that are not overtly political, that are open-minded, that strive to be rational, who actually want to know Yahweh's name and what he is offering, and what he is requesting in return. And for you, Yada Yahweh exists. All 30 books, free on the shelf at yadayah.com for you to read. And so we would encourage you to do that. That is our mission. We were called on Teruah to shout out this warning and to point you in the right direction to share the good news. So when you read that, the first thing that, that we hear is, Celebrate Teruah. Celebrate the purpose of Teruah. Now, if you're a religious Jew, you don't even know what I'm talking about. You don't even know what Teruah means. You've never even heard of Teruah. Why? Because the goddamn rabbis decided that they didn't want to listen to what Yahweh had to say. 
They had no interest in attending a festival feast that he was holding. They would prefer to celebrate the Babylonian New Year. And so you usher in your high holy days with Rosh Hashanah. A direct replacement for Teruah. And one of many reasons that God hates Judaism. And if that were not enough, you have turned the day of reconciliations into the day of atonement where you afflict your soul. The opposite of what Yahweh intended. You never, ever mention or write his name. Shame on you. And so the purpose of Teruah is to change that, at least for those who are receptive to Yahweh. So that those of you who are not religious, for those of you who are not political, and are interested in knowing God and being part of his family, we exist as a celebration and an extension of the shofar, of ruah, the basis of teruah, the fifth of Yahweh's seven Moed Mechres, the next to be fulfilled. In fact, we are the living fulfillment of it at this very moment. Signal an alarm. Shout for joy. Where? The place the message needs to be heard. The home of trouble. It's the end for you, Benjamin. What does that mean? Well, there were two Shauls. The wannabe mm-hmm. king who rebelled against Yahweh and had his head chopped off, losing in a battle to the dreaded Philistines. He was replaced by the Son of God, the Messiah, King Dode. The other is the wannabe apostle, the man who claimed that the entire Greek-Gentile world was given to him exclusively, and that he alone had the right and the authority to contradict God and to establish a new religion, a new covenant, a gospel of grace. And he, even having admitted that he was demon-possessed, controlled by Satan, either wrote or inspired almost all of the Christian New Testament. Shaul became Paul, changed his name from question him to a Latin name, Paulos, because he wanted to celebrate the fact that he was a Roman, even though he was a Jew. It's the end of the Benjamite, which means it is the end of Israel's rebellion. Saul was a Benjamite. He was not a Yehud. Shaul Paul was a Benjamite, not a Yehud. It's the end of that rebellion. Ephraim, worthless specks of dust, He will be horrified and desolated, which will occur in the day of rebuke and punishment. Um, Hosea was written right around uh, 750 BCE. 722 BCE, there was no more Ephraim. Gone. Unknown to history, lost in the land that would become Islam. 
At that time, he says, I will make Yada known to you. We started this Karua mission um, 22 years ago, initially under my own name because I, I felt it was important for credibility's sake uh, to write tea with terrorists about my meeting with Al-Qaeda and Prophet of Doom, the um, book that brings Islam to you, um, in Muhammad's own words, takes the hadith, the historical accounts that were the first written about Muhammad and uses them to reorder the Quran chronologically and set them into the context of Muhammad's life. I wrote that under my own name as I wrote my meeting with uh, Al-Qaeda and Tea with Terrorists under my own name. But once we moved away from exposing Satan's role in religion and onto Yada Yahweh, um, I was anonymous for the first 10 years, wrote under the pen name Yada. And so Yada is the name that I thought I chose Turns out I didn't, uh, to, to convey what I was learning from Yahweh in a manner that was as anonymous as possible because I didn't think I mattered. Only what Yahweh said mattered. You exposed now. Come to find out that's not how Yahweh works. The people who speak no. for him matter. Yes. And uh, he, uh, he speaks vociferously of them. And as it turns out, he had a lot to say about this fellow Yada and what he would do for uh, him and alerting God's people and calling them home of shouting this message as loudly as Ruah would allow. And so for God to say, and at that time, I will make Yada known to be sure, um, it uh, reads... Yada Aman. It, uh, that would also mean that I will acknowledge that Yahweh is being truthful. He's reliable, dependable, and enduring. Yada is Hiffel Perfect. Hiffel Perfect means that God will act at a certain point in time to acknowledge and make known that um, Yada, which is in the Niffel uh, participle that he carries out and receives the benefits of being reliable in a highly descriptive manner. Now that's as good as it gets. It's very reassuring. God being as bad as it gets. This is as good as it gets. Yeah. And here are stems and conjugations being used that are explicit. I mean, the hiffle stem. That means the subject enables the object, God is the speaker, he's the subject, enables the object, yada, to participate in the action of knowing such that he will serve as a secondary subject or understudy. I know, it's a lot of grammatical gobbledygook, but what it says is that Yahweh is enabling yada to know uh, and to serve as his understudy. Powerful. Yeah. And then with Amon and the Niffle participle, the Niffle stem means 
because now yada is the subject, that the subject of the verb both carries out the action and benefits from it. Right. And since the action of Amman is to be truthful, to be reliable, to be dependable, it means that that these things are are both being carried out by and experienced by yada. And in the participle, it means that this is happening in a highly demonstrable manner. You can argue all you want and say, well, you know, it's uh, reading too much into it. Okay. No, I don't think so. I would, I would go ahead and have you look up. You've done it, Kirk. In fact, you had a period where oh, I, you really got it, into the, it uh, the stems every... and, and, uh, and tried oh, yeah. to – because it, it takes a while. I mean, I'm, I'm going to tell you that you don't become comfortable with the stems and this understanding that everything that Yahweh writes in terms of the actionable nature of his language is uh, subjected to a relationship between the subject and object of the action in every sentence. Right. Every sentence. And so you can ignore that or you can embrace it. And if you embrace it, you can learn from it. And uh, there is no one who's going to tell you anything different about the hippel stem, which was on Yada, or the nipple, which pertains to Amman, and their influence on the action of both knowing and being truthful. You studied them. That's what they mean. Yep. Me too. I've studied them, and that is what they mean. And I've seen you all over the place, so uh, oh, you're no, not reading yeah, into it. Hundreds, hundreds of places that I didn't yes. think I would be on the on the plate as, <laughs> as dinner <laughs> at the Feast sure. of the Beast. <laughs> I suppose wow. that's an honor in a way. <laughs> I never, always thought it would be an honor to share a plate main, with Tote. Main dish. I'm not sure I wanted to be on the plate with Tote. But nonetheless, well, it's so it's important for us to know we found the right uh, the right person to listen to, that we need to know yeah. this, and, and the Torah it gives us everything. Out. Yep. Yes. Yeah. It's reassuring. It, the more we find that Yahweh has reemphasized this, the more it is reassuring for all of us. Uh, for myself, it's extremely, well, it was extremely uncomfortable. I'm much like being sure. the anonymous Yada. Loved it for 10 years. And so the first time, <laughs> We came uh, upon the realization that there was a choder, uh, and that the choder was a stem off of the uh, the old trunk, the the branch that uh, was uh, the fallen Israel, um, and that uh, he, not having a lot going for him prior to this engagement, was given the full McGillicuddy of uh, of Yahweh's capabilities, and that he has seven spirits of Yah. Uh, enabling him and educating him and empowering him to do this job. Right. And then we learned about the, uh, the knacker uh, from Solomon and the dedication of Yahweh's mm-hmm. home and how this enlightened foreigner would uh, play an exceedingly important role in the end to call oh, people, people home and yeah. how he is referred to as the Bashar, the, the witness, the Tsar, which is, the uh, the uh, viceroy, if you will, of Dote, the uh, assistant to the king that uh, does the work that that you know kings kings can be kings. They don't 
when I have to do some of the heavy lifting. And so they, they have go-tos. Uh, and, uh, and so the SAR is a go-to. Um, Yahweh has lots of terms, uh, including uh, referring to him as the little Z, as I call it, the Zoroa. The Zoroa is one Zoroa, who yeah. sows the, uh, the seeds that take root and grow. Um, Moshe and Dode are the great Zoroa, as is uh, Yosha. Uh, but turns out there's a, a little Z as well. Um, it's all over. It permeates Yah's testimony. It's presented more in... Yermiyah probably than any place else, but it actually begins in the mm-hmm. Torah and works all the way through uh, uh, Zechariah and Malachi and, and through all of Yah's prophets. This is an exceedingly important mission to Yahweh. Yes. It's not a prophetic yes. mission because he's already revealed everything he do prophetically. It's a Ruah mission, yep. which is to shout out the message. Shout it out, yeah. Tell it. The lingual framework of the world that is spoken by and understood by more of God's people than the other, including Hebrew. And so there we have that is, yeah, that is what we're here doing. But that was, you know, that was why I thought so much about you as a witness also, because you're the only one that knows the modern uh, situations, as well as anyone, from economic to mm-hmm. religious to whatever. You've written books and books and books on all that, plus you, plus you have the command of English. I mean, you've mm-hmm. got the... Are you kidding? It has to be you. Yeah, Even my, if you didn't, you made it pretty plain. You didn't have to, all you got to do is read it, but yeah. My fifth grade uh, uh, English teacher would be uh, calling at... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> at yeah, but you could, her, when you write it, you write alive, it well, uh, though. Saying, this guy speaking, that, that, that well. fought English grammar can't be now talking about Hebrew grammar. He has no credibility on that subject at all. And I would agree with him. That's why there were seven Ruach uh, uh, presented to, to make this uh, possible. Um, Got you surrounded. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that's the whole point of it all is that it's not really about, it's about you, but it's about Yahweh doing this through, through this message that he's sending through you. And that's, it, it all points back to Yahweh. You're not getting credibility for yourself, but you are credible. No, it's not a new Yahweh property. Yeah. Not a new property. Yeah. It's all that there. Said, there, is, there still is more to it, and that sure. Yahweh is a team player. He does not work alone. Yes. And yep. he gives a lot of rope and a lot of support to those he works with. You know, Dabadim is Moshe's uh, analysis Commentary. of what's important yeah. in the Torah. Imagine you delineated the first uh, uh, four books to him and let him go with the Dabarim, which is his commentary on the Torah. Mm -hmm. You know, you you gave uh, Dode your anointing and your spirit and, and inspired him to write these magnificent songs, but you let him express himself. Mm -hmm. God likes working through people. He just does. And he lets those people express themselves as they come to understand it. Now, there's a difference between being a Yashia and a Moshe and a Dode, which is, as prophets, everything you say has to be accurate. In, in the witness role, uh, you have to be consistently Discover. accurate in conveying 
what those prophets have revealed to us. So it is a different role, but even then, he gives us an enormous amount of latitude. And I think he does that because God realizes that um, he expressed to the children of Israel remains true even to this day. When he came up with the idea, he told Moshe, he says, you know, they're going to question this idea of me speaking to you. And, and you know, that's pretty far-fetched. You go up to the top of the mountain, it's, it's all glowing and not consumed uh, with the, uh, the glowing. You walk down, your face is beaming with, uh, with light. You have these uh, 12 tablets that I wrote with my own hand. You have this magnificent book that explains creation all the way up to this moment. You performed, we've performed all of these great miracles uh, together in liberating the children of Israel. But I can still see the nature of these people. They're going to question whether or not it is really me who is speaking to you. So we're going to do, get them all assembled, all in their, you know, Shabbat best. Uh, and, uh, and then I'm going to appear right there and I'm going to affirm right in front of all of Israel that I, God, am speaking through you, Moshe. And what do the children of Israel say? Freaked out. Please stop. Don't do this yeah. anymore. You're scaring us to death. Mm. And God, rather than saying, you ungrateful ingrates, after all I've done for you, you want me to go away? Yeah. God had a very mature, very responsible, very intellectual, mm-hmm. um, emotionally attuned response to them. He says, you're right. You know, the last thing I want to do is to cause you to be afraid of me. The last thing I want right. to do is to be so bold and presence in your life that you have no choice but to accept me. This is not the right way. The right way is for me to convey my message through someone who is willing to listen to me, think about what I have to say, be responsible, and devote his or her life to conveying this message to educate you. That's the best way because that gives you the choice to listen to him or ignore him. That is the best choice because he's going to interpret what I have to say in a way that will resonate with you because he's one of you. Mm-hmm. I can speak to the political and the religious of Israel and the world because I once was political and religious. Dode, excuse me. Moshe was chosen by Yahweh and was the only person on the planet that could do the job he wanted done because he was the only person who knew the politics and the religion and the economics and the militarism of Egypt, of Mitzrayim, and had decided to stand up to it, against it, and walk away from it. That's what made him the right person to do the job. Not my job is not even a billionth as important as Moshe's. But the same exact characteristics apply. So in this way, God is actually saying, the person I choose to communicate through does matter. They have attributes 
they have insights, they have backgrounds that are actually pertinent to the message I am conveying through them. True of me? My stand corrected. True, true of Dote. <laughs> and one of the reasons why I say, since Dote is the beloved of Yah, the chosen of Yah, the man that he anointed three times, the man he is returning with to lead his people into eternity, that it would be really smart of us to get to know him really well and to try to bring into our own lives the attitudes and, and aptitudes, the focus, the life, the message of Dote. Because we yeah. know Yahweh says it's right. We know that Yahweh loves him. We know that Yahweh uh, finds him to be the ideal person to work with and through. So if you want, please, to put me out uh, in retirement, um, please do. And the way you can do that is to learn as much as you possibly can about Dode, David, and implement his, uh, uh, and um, use his as an exemplar. That's how you can do it. Study the Torah like he did. Write about the things of God. Speak of them. Live them. Learn that it doesn't much matter if you're good or bad. What matters is if you're right. And Dode was right. You know, I was just thinking, if I may, you you read off a list of what attributes of Dode. You know, he's the beloved, he's the shepherd king, or the king, or the shepherd, he's the Masiyag, the branch, the firstborn prophet. And then I was thinking about Shaul. Shaul, if you have any concerns about your religion and you're a Christian, this, the great rabbi, he is the uh, father of lies, plague of death, and son of evil. Yeah. Wow. It's pretty incredible. You pick them. Yeah. <laughs> nobody says that anywhere else. Yahweh said it, but nobody picks up on it. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting because I just, I know that Craig doesn't want to make it about himself, but it is nice to, look and say, this is the guy that Yahweh, Yahweh chose to work with right now, and we're allowed to acknowledge that and, and be reassured that we're on the right path. I think well, we've we lost Craig. Conclude... Yeah, sorry. Okay. What well, were you going to say? When, when I was going to say, when, when we started finding these things uh, in earnest, it was all like we realized that uh, you know, he uh, it's, it's not only that he he did it, but it's not he started recognizing. It. I thought the first one that really grabbed me more than any of them was the one when uh, it was funny. Uh, it's the dedication to the temple. We were talking about the temple earlier, and Solomon, or Solomon, he makes his thing. Is when you, now he's got all of Israel, every tribe is there. Right. He says when. He, Y'all return. I don't think said y'all, but when you 
when we return, well, no, you've got to be listening to this speech. Uh, he says, when we return, well, first of all, they ain't going anywhere, so they don't know what he's talking about. He must have sounded crazy to him. When he returned, uh, and he talks about uh, Yada, he talks about a, a man, a goy, from a different country, a foreigner, he's not Jewish, he's not Israelite, you know, any of the DNA. And when he returns, this is where you'll, this is how you'll, how it'll happen. So right away, right. so you've got to find that person. So, so you start putting it all together, and if not, if not this person, if, uh, Yada, if not this, who? We have six and a half years till Teruah, the real Teruah. Right. Where is it going to come from? Who is going to write this stuff? Uh, Craig hasn't written, uh, I mean, he's a wonderful writer, and he's, and he's insights are unbelievable insights that are, that are there that no one's been able to pick up on. I mean, that's a remarkable thing. But uh, this is a translation. Right. It was so confusing as a, as a Christian. I'm sure it was confusing. Uh, anyone who's reading uh, Jewish writings and things that are not the Torah, they, they just don't, you can't figure it out. And yeah. he said, but he said, you know, I'm going I'm I'm to leave you for 2,700 years. And here we are. And, uh, yeah, I was stunned to see a couple chapters back. It said uh, Yada Yawa right in the text of Hosha. And I asked Craig, "Did yeah. you know is this where you got it from?" And and he said, "Tonight, you know, I thought I named myself." And I, it's so uh, incredible, like this journey of watching the organic progression of of Yada as mm-hmm. he becomes aware of who he is and it's revealing mm-hmm. it. Um, and and Shlomo said he would return Israel to using Yahweh's name. And that's exactly the methodological approach he's used. Very logical, very reasoned. So, yep, really reassuring. Is he he going to come back online? I assume there was... No, I don't think so. It uh, shows that we're disconnected. I don't even know if we're live at this point. Oh, okay. Then, uh... You know, just between while we're talking, and if, if, uh, you know, I've been studying a lot about Russia's situation and, and the Ukrainian war. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that could lead to a nuclear war, uh, and millions and millions of it. I spent a lot of time the last uh, yesterday reading about um, some about eight or nine page document. No, it's more than that. It's probably about twelve page document on China, and it's falling apart. You know, it was funny. We started the program with um, um, it, empires don't last, you know, which everybody knows it studies history. But we, America is you know, falling on extremely hard times. Now there's things that just can't be maintained. However, I was reading about China. My God, this is such an evil place and is so, um, and it's falling apart, aging. There's population decrease. You can't maintain it. You know, their policy of killing little girls, little baby children, babies, uh, female babies, uh, with this one child thing uh, has doomed them. They can't get out of this Bad. thing. So that empire is dying. The Russian, uh, the Soviet Union died. That was a that was an empire. Right. And the Russian uh, country, as such, is still still regurgitated. But uh, on and on and on, you just, it, but America can't survive this thing, and none of them, not one place do you go, 
does anyone care about Yahweh? They don't know his name. They don't know his plan. They don't know the simplest basic parts. I mean, I don't know where I'd be without this. I am so happy. I I agree with you. (laughs) This is vital to uh, my life at this point, and uh, I I don't know where I'd be without it. Nowhere good, that's for for certain. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I don't view, uh, I see that. Yeah, so it's time coming Pardon? up. Is the time ending? Yep. Okay. Well, I see well, uh, Craig has noted that the show has ended, and I just wanted to, to uh, remind everybody to send their Q&A questions to the social media messenger or email, and a uh, wonderful idea by Leah. So uh, I guess we're going to – I'm out, Kirk. <laughs> I hope you okay. have a great Shabbat. <laughs> you too. Shalom, shalom. <laughs> Shalom, shalom. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.